You're listening to the Down the Pub podcast, Canada's premier football show. Head to downthepub.ca to subscribe so you never miss an episode. That ball was played through to him, but here's Maradona again. He has Furchaga to his left and Valdano to his left. He doesn't. He won't need any of them. Oh, you have to say that's magnificent. There is no debate about that goal. That was just pure football genius. And the crowd in the Azteca Stadium stand to him. Inside one, away from another. And the coolness under pressure to play the ball home with the side of his foot. If the first was illegal, the second was one of the best goals we've seen in this championship. So uh, welcome to this episode of the Down the Pub podcast. Uh, we are joined by Calvary FC player and actual Superman, uh, Oliver Minitel. Uh Welcome to the show, buddy. Thanks. Uh, I'm happy to be here with you guys. Thank you for the invitation. And uh, we are joined by the usual suspects, uh, Carlos and Chris. Welcome back to the show again, guys. No problem, man. Thank you. And obrigado, Oliver, for coming here. Gracias. Yes, cheers, brother. Thanks for coming on the show, and it's good to be back, Anthony. Good to have you back, man. So um, I just thought we'd kick it off. Obviously, we lost a, an icon this week. Uh, Diego, poor Diego, uh, passed away. Um, so I just thought we'd start off with just sharing our thoughts a little bit on the life of Maradona. Um, for me, I'm a little bit older than you guys, so I kind of saw him when he was in his pump in the 86 World Cup and, and stuff like that, and playing for Napoli, and I... I remember him just being an incredible player because it was during a time when people were allowed to get away with a lot more and the poor man was like attacked physically assaulted like every game he played and he just got up and got on with it there was no histrionics there was no anything he just loved the game and he just got got on with stuff and um, we definitely lost an incredible player an incredible person I feel bad that a lot of stuff he was let down with in his life that um, he was allowed to kind of end up the way he did um, but he, we'll ne- people can never take away the player he was and watching the 86 World Cup when I was a, a kid with my dad and the, the game against Belgium was the one that actually stood out for me um, the, the two goals he scored in that semi-final he just owned the, the, the football world in that whole World Cup so um, definitely going to miss him um, Carlos I know that you were affected deeply by this so uh, how, how are you feeling? Um, well I get to see Maradona pretty much. When I was a kid, I saw him that the final of Italy 90, but then he kind of like grew on me kind of more the love for football. And uh, the way that I remind Maradona was just the last day when he came back to Boca Juniors and play. Um, I saw him there. And then I remember that 1994, that squad of Argentina had everything to be world champions. All the respect for Brazil in 1994. But they had, like, I think that was the best squad. Like, it's not even in the 86 or or the sub-championship in Italy 90. They didn't have the squad that they had in 1994. Um, to me, Maradona was controversial. Like, whatever he did with his personal life, it, it was his choice. What it matters to me is what he did to mine. I'm quoting uh, uh, a quote from 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 one from one Argentina legend, and he mentioned that uh, the best way to describe Maradona to me, and I mentioned it in the chat to you guys, was uh, a few days ago. Maradona was like a classic football ball, red. It was sorry, white and black. You know, like he wasn't like gray in the middle. He was just to the limit. Like he he everything did with passion. He was either white or he was he was either black. It was just like a classic football ball, and he always wanted to play. It was he played for fun. He changed the whole world. He was the best ever. But what he did in the pitch, it's unbelievable. Everybody knows that. But that's how Maradona was. Like he was the definitive, passionate guy. And I know football wasn't better by England, but there's a saying that says that South America invented the way of feeling football. You know, England could invent the sport, but the way that we feel in, 
football it's made by South Americans and it's kind of true but it's because Maradona because the passion that he brought it's unbelievable if you see the news all the things that he did and like even in his funeral like it was just kind of like people were like that that three days of holiday and the whole world paralyzed so all I have to say it's thank you because he just kind of like made me love football and to me I kind of feel like the football die a little bit in me because it's gone. I don't want to be extremist talking about this, but to me, like the way that he play, I just like, he made me love more football and it's just Maradona to me is football. And that's it. Yeah. So, so Oliver, I know that you're from Brazil and you're brought up to hate Argentina. And uh, <laughs> so it's obviously like a, a little bit different for you guys. But uh, how did you feel when you heard the news? Yeah. I mean, unfortunately, I didn't get to watch him too much. But obviously, I've seen all of his highlights. And I just think that he just shows the, 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 the he just showed the passion that they, that they have. And it, it's different. Brazilian culture they don't cultivate their, their heroes like that. And with Maradona's passing, it just shows how people in Argentina saw him actually and in Italy uh, because he played there in Napoli and that's where I think he had his, his best moments. So it just shows how he was able to, to unify the, the people and have that feeling in them, bring it back now with, with his death. I think he, he brought back a lot of emotion and I admire him, of course, as a, as a footballer. And I think that everything that he did outside of, of the pitch. Uh, it, he only hurt himself, right? From what everyone yeah. says. And uh, I've saw like uh, the last couple of days, many of Brazilian players who, who played with him and who knew him, they all said how, how big he was as a person and that he would only do things that were bad to himself. And uh, I mean, as a player, no doubt he's up there. And uh the, the rivalry stays behind in a, in a moment like this. And it's obviously sad to see uh, him pass away, but I think he, he leaves a, a great history and uh, people will always be happy when, when they remember him and uh, admire what, everything he did for football. Amazing. Uh, Chris. Yeah. I mean, like similar to Ollie, my, experience with Maradona wasn't watching him play but um, I used to work at a corner store in Eastern Passage and the guy who owned the place was the biggest Maradona fan ever and one of my true introductions to to football outside of England was Maradona uh, it was this poster he had on the wall and it said Kura uh, in in Arabic and I, I it just it's it's a stain in my brain only because Ali used to just watch DVDs and VHSs of Maradona over and over documentaries, games from the eighties and early nineties. Um, he always argued that he was better than Pele because he actually went to Europe and got the job done and um, <laughs> just told me, you know, in terms of the lineage of the greats of the game, nobody will ever be able to do what Maradona did with the ball at his feet. And uh, you know, I was telling you guys in the chat, the 2010 world cup was really my first true introduction into the the circus that was Maradona him managing that Argentina team and and almost being the 12th guy on the field at times but at the same time taking a man off the field because he was uh as as Carlos said passionate with everything he did and and he channeled that team and you know as as much as people say that he hurt the team that year he actually kind of pushed them to that that point and you know the the fans used to follow Argentina not for the players but for Maradona and, and it was exceptional seeing how players on the other teams were going up to Maradona after the game just to shake his hand and and to talk to him not even to exchange jerseys with other players and that was a pretty damn good Argentina team so um, it is sad you know anytime you lose a great in any sport it's sad but somebody like Maradona is eternal and you know when they're alive you don't think or you don't feel to honor them because you think that they're actually immortal. And, and all he was just talking about how he only hurt himself with the decisions he made off the field, but he was still Maradona. You, you, you still felt like he could live forever. And uh, I, one of the things that kind of stands out to me and it kind of sucks is how Napoli is going to change the name of the stadium now. And, you know, it, it's like, why didn't they do that when he was alive? And, and I hope that a lot of the teams that have club legends are looking at the, what's happened with Maradona and say, you know what, we need to honor these guys while they're still here to make sure they see it, their family sees it, and the fans can experience it. So something like COVID, you know, we don't know if something like this is ever going to happen again. Uh, you know, the fans, that, that's a moment that the fans deserved. And I think that uh, 
it's been robbed at the fact that people delayed honoring the man until he passed. So I hope, uh, I hope we learn from his life in all ways, um, mistakes and glory. So uh, rest in peace eternally to Maradona. Yeah, it, it was it was definitely a, a shock, and I, I know that he was sick and had surgery a while ago. So when the news came true, uh, Carlos had messaged me, and I was just like, I was actually at work on a on a phone call, and I was I didn't hear anything that anybody said to me. I was just like, what the fuck is going on here? So yeah, so uh, yeah, I said it's a big big part of my childhood gone there, and um, yeah, rest in peace, Maradona. Uh, anyway, so let's uh, move on a little bit here and bring the the mood of the show up a little bit. Sorry to start it off on the downer. Uh, so, um, Oliver, the first question for you, man, is obviously the... the, off, the, the off the record, the downer was when you were talking about Tottenham. That was the downer. <laughs> <laughs> no, you did I'm, I'm just going to mute you for the rest of the fucking interview, man. Go fuck yourself. Actually, uh, actually, actually, real quick before you talk to Ollie, I don't know if you guys have seen it, but somebody, I don't remember what her name was. She had an interview with uh, Jose Mourinho after Maradona died, and it's one of my favorite interviews um, from any player coach anything because he said there was Maradona that's who everybody knew and then there was Diego my friend and he went on about Diego and I'm just telling you guys this like you don't have to keep this Anthony but um, if you guys have a moment go watch that interview because it's exceptional it's only like five minutes long but it really gets to the point of who Maradona was yeah, and, and I think that's a big point. There was obviously the guy outside of football and the guy on the pitch, and I think that's where a lot of his downfall went was uh, on the, the guy off the pitch. So, uh, Oliver, sorry about that, man. Uh, we just had to kind of give her a little piece to a, a legend. Uh, so, it's all good. He deserves it. <laughs> the, the big question for you is, obviously, uh, how's the recovery going, man? It's going really well. And uh, Yesterday, I completed three months of uh, surgery, and uh, everything is going as planned. Uh, I was able to come back to Brazil and uh, start the rehab as soon as possible. So in a, in a good place too. And uh, close to my family, to my friends. That's the most important now. Long days, always from eight <laughs> to four or five. Boring stuff. But now, now I'm getting to a point where I can actually do a little bit more. Yesterday I had a, a good run, strong run. So nice. yeah, f- feeling good, and uh, the, the, I can feel the progress, and it's quick. So that makes me keep going. Yeah, I mean, like the um, watching your videos on Instagram, it's a it's a huge inspiration. Like, and I'm not just saying that to like be that you know, inspiration. Everything's an inspiration these days, but it really is. It's like crazy just watching you on the treadmill, like. If this was me, like I was saying to Chris before, that if that was me, I'd be still on the couch feeling sorry for myself. So I was, my, my mind was blown when Anthony <laughs> yeah. told me. I was just like, holy shit! I'd still so, be in the, I'd still be in the hospital bed. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, um, so, so, when do you, when do you expect to be back kicking the ball? When's the like the that part of the the recovery? I mean, I, I've I, I've started already some technical stuff, even with my right, which was the the injured leg. So I still feel a bit, it's normal, right? Uh, most of the, the times when I go a bit harder, I still feel, feel, feel some pain. But that's, that's the way that I can go through it and uh, have a bigger progress uh, sooner, right? Going through the pain. And uh, the team is, that I'm working with is really good. The, the, the doctor is here as well. So they give me the confidence. Hopefully I'll be able to do the transition to the field now in, in December to start to do a bit more uh, dynamic stuff. And hopefully by January, I'll be, I'll be ready to go for a full session. It's incredible, incredible, incredible. Um, so it hasn't been announced yet. Like the clubs have been kind of announcing players that are coming back and all that kind of stuff. Are you able to tell us if you'll be back in Calgary next year? Uh, honestly, my, my contract finishes now, finished now in the end of the season. Uh, we were in talks, obviously, before the injury and in advance talks, but I still haven't signed anything. So as of right now, I'm, I'm a free agent. And uh, I'm just trying to focus on, on my recovery and get everything done. Uh, I let my agent take care of, of that stuff. And uh, as soon as I, as I have an a update, I'll, I'll let you guys know. Amazing. Just before I pass it over to uh, Carlos, do you, do you like lobster and do you like the ocean? <laughs> I'm Brazilian. I mean, I do like the ocean. <laughs> this, is, this is what I wanted to ask because um, you play uh, in Puerto Rico. Um, 
And we had a pass, like we have a guest in the past uh, that he also played for the Puerto Rico Islanders and he loved the life there. I just want to ask you, um, because then you jumped to, from Puerto Rico, you went to, to play in Australia. So I don't know, maybe it was the Brazilian coming in that you needed to play beach football, you know, like <laughs> having, having, having cachaça, you know, in the beach, you know, like you love it the life. So you can come back to Halifax because we have nice beaches here too. So anyways, so my, more like going to the question is um, how that Puerto Rico came up? Because I know Puerto Rico is full of baseball and reggaeton. So maybe reggaeton was the thing that, you know, you, you Brazilians love to carnival and dance, but how, how that came up, like playing for Puerto Rico and then moving to, to Australia, if you can share that story to us. Yeah, because... yeah. So I was, I was in Ottawa at the time. Uh, I, had, we had two, I had two good seasons there. In 2015, we, we got to the final. We lost to New York Cosmos in the NASL. And uh, our coach, Mark Dos Santos, who is in Vancouver today, he, he left. So the whole team kind of melted down. The new coach came. And uh, so in 2016, Carmelo Anthony, the, the NBA legend, he started the team in Puerto Rico. Yeah. And uh, it was as soon as my, my agent told me, well, uh, I'm speaking to the guys in Puerto Rico. They're interested. I didn't know much about the uh, about San Juan and Puerto Rico, so I, as soon as I went in and I looked at everything, I said, "Yeah, I want to go." <laughs> so it was an easy decision. Uh, I lived in Condado, which is uh, I don't know if you guys are familiar, but it's, it's a very nice beach, uh, great vibe, and uh, the energy there was great. I was there for one season, and then in 2017, I moved to the U.S. to to Richmond. Mm -hmm. And uh, they had the, the big problem there with the hurricane and everything, which was big. And unfortunately, they, they folded after a while, uh, a lot due to that. And uh, I'm happy to see actually that the island is, is getting up again and uh, getting back, to, back to, to what it was before. But so it was like that. And, and Carmelo was a, was a great guy. We, we got to know him. Uh, I mean, wow. the club was very well, well structured. Uh, we went to the Puerto Rican parade in New York in 2016, and we had a friendly match against the Puerto Rico national team there. And oh. later we went with Carmelo to the parade. So some, oh, some crazy wow. things happening <laughs> parallel to, to, to and what we're used to. You should be wearing a Knicks jersey, man. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Oh, Anthony, one, Anthony, so. you better you better you better update your basketball, bro. I know, I know, he plays for the Blazers and stuff like that. But I just, I know that he's. Yeah, uh, I'm just playing. I'm just playing. After that, uh, how did the move to Australia came up? And then I went to Richmond, mm -hmm. and uh, I had a, a bad year uh, injury wise. I had a, a muscle injury, didn't play much. And with a foreign spot, it's always difficult. You have to be performing, right? Mm -hmm. So I didn't renew my contract there. And suddenly uh, Australia came, uh, appeared and I was like, why not? Good country was a good opportunity. But as soon as I got there, like I, I, my idea was always to come back to, to North America because I, I had been here for, well, there for like five years. And I started to create this identity and uh, it was a good one-off experience, but mm -hmm. I was happy to, to go back to Canada in 2019, and, and especially in the CPL, which is a well-structured league, yes. and uh, the, the opportunity to grow together with the league is much bigger. Also, as I start approaching the, the, the end of, of my playing career, I think it opens a lot of doors for, for the future, being in a country like Canada and in a system in a, in a league like the CPL. Perfect. And one last one before I pass to Chris. Um, you're talking about you got a muscle injury and currently like you're the injury that you had in the Island Games this year. Um, Anthony asked you about like how you're doing and everything. But um, I want to ask you like you're doing your exercise, you're doing your diet, you know, to be on the way, you're just doing your contract. But how mentally are you preparing for this? Because you're going to do all the exercises, you know, all the, all the rehab that you have to do just to get back stronger than ever. But uh, an important factor is just like being up here after the injury, you know, like having that motivation. Can you tell us if you can share um, 
how important is to you and what are you doing to stay motivated, you know, to come back stronger than ever? I mean, I think that's, that's the biggest part. You have to be well mentally to, to go through the, the, the difficult days, right? Because it's not always easy. It's not like oh, I'm going there today. It's going to be a great day at rehab. Sometimes you wake up and then you think, oh, come on, why did this happen? And, and then you have to go through everything. So it's, it's, that was one of the reasons that I was happy that they, that they helped me to come treat in Brazil because the mental part is huge. And, uh, well, I just, I mean, what keeps me going is I just want to be back in the pitch and playing. And obviously when you have an injury like this and when those things happen, you value the simple fact that, uh, that you can play much more. Right. So now it's, I just want to get fit and uh, be able to, to, to play normal with no restriction. And uh, I think I'm going to get there. It's, it's obviously different, the exercises, the running, once I'm out there and, I'm, and, and I have to go to a 50-50 ball, right? That's going to be the, 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 main, uh, the main thing for me when I'm able to do that and the main challenge. But, I mean, I'm not overthinking it either. I think it's going to be natural in, in the process when the time comes. I'll be without pain. And it's just uh, like many, many other players who, who overcome uh, big injuries. Mm-hmm. It happens to us and we just think it's, it's never going to happen. And mm-hmm. you see it on TV or you hear about it and then suddenly it happens to you and you, you have to be, be strong enough to, to come back. This is great. This is great. Especially uh, your teammates uh, showed your support when you got the injured, uh, all the one soccer staff too, and seeing other teams also sharing your support after that injury, you know, come back stronger. Uh, that was really nice to see um, over the media. And I think that's important for the mental part, you know, because it shows you that people care and and makes you like, you know, like to be back in the game as soon as you can. That was one of my... That was one of my favorite uh, moments was when Haber had your jersey and after yeah. he scored and put it out, man, that was a nice touch. So That was great. Yeah. Go for it, Chris. You took the thoughts out of my head, actually, Carlos, because that's what I was going to say. Like those, those guys in Calgary must have did a, a, a deed to help you kind of just get your spirits up at the very beginning because, you know, the, the most important part of long-term recovery is how you feel short-term. And I've had my fair share of injuries and the reason why – I think I was on the mend a lot longer than I should have been was because I was depressed from the beginning. So I know you were just talking about your contract situation with Cal- Calgary and, and I know you, I, you don't really want to talk about any of the, the, the ins and outs of what's going on with that. But in terms of like your teammates, I don't want to call them ex teammates yet because we don't know what your future is, but who were some of the guys that you really stayed in touch with after the injury happened and, and, and who really specifically kept that mental um, going as Carlos said. Mm-hmm. Uh- to start with, uh, it was really, our, our group was amazing. Uh, since the first year, 2019, we, I think that was one of our secrets. We were really, really tight group and uh, like friends off the pitch. And I think that that's what you need even to go through the difficult moments in a season as well. And uh, of course, Marcus, his gesture when, when he scored, I, I was watching at the hospital and was amazing. And that, after that as well, uh, everyone helping out at the hotel for the first couple of days, weeks. I, I couldn't really do anything on my own. And uh, I was rooming with, with Jay, so I, I changed rooms when I came back to the hotel, but he was also always with me, helping me. Uh, I mean, Mason, every, everyone, everyone was, was, uh, was, was great with me, so I, I really can't say one or the other. And that's good. And, that's uh, a good thing. That's a good thing. That's, and, uh, that's yeah, just, just, just show you what you guys are doing. How, how our, our team culture is and uh, what we had going on. And uh, it was even, even friends and people that, I, that I'm not even that close to, they always mention, oh, we, we saw your teammates. And it was so it shows that people from the outside see that as well. And uh, I, feel, I, feel, I feel good that, that they have this image of me and that they tried to help me out and always talking to me to to get back stronger and uh it definitely helps when when you feel loved by the place and not only the my teammates the fans as well uh cavalry fans and fans all across the the league but of course mainly the the cavalry supporters the foot soldiers they were awesome uh i'll even 
later on. I'll, I'll, I'll grab the, the let me see. I have the, the card that they signed. Oh, wow. Me. That's awesome. That's a great supporters group. So I was in Brazil and I, I got this card. So it just shows Holy know, simple God. Wow. little little gestures that Man, that's, that's make so, me, that's me awesome. feel good, right? Fantastic. Kudos to the foot soldiers, honestly. Yeah. Kudos to them. That's fantastic. So there was even a bigger support than just your players. Literally, like the the fans recognize yeah. it. And I mean, I, I these guys probably agree with me that you know, aside from obviously Halifax's success, that was one of the toughest stories of the tournament. You know, with everything you guys were already dealing with, with players not being able to get into the country, and then a couple of injuries that had already happened. You were on fire. Um, and, and I know you really don't want to dwell on this injury. And, and you know, I don't know if, if these guys agree with me. I think we can move on after this last question. Um, but you know, you, you, you suffered a tough injury during COVID, which is a totally different world for everybody. And you guys were in a bubble and, and it was a really, really weird situation. So, you know, I, I know you really don't want to relive it, but what were some of like the differences or the, the, I guess, changes that you really recognize going to go into the hospital, coming back into the bubble, what was different about, um, I guess a hospital visit this time around? Yeah, it was strange because everything happened so quick. I mean, we, we were there, normal pre-game day, going, talking to, to my friends in, in Brazil or whoever, and then go to the game. It was a really important game for us. We had to win. We started off the game well, and boom, suddenly everything changed, right? As, as soon as I noticed, I'm in the, in the ambulance going to the hospital, getting ready for a big surgery in a place that I didn't know. I didn't know anyone. I didn't know the doctor. And by the way, Dr. Scott Witherspoon, excellent job. Amazing. Great guy. So I don't know if he's going to have the chance to, to watch this, but I thanked him a lot. And uh, we'll make sure he gets the message. Yeah. Never, n- never enough. He was amazing. And uh, the surgery was great. And then, yeah. And then back to, to the bubble. Fortunately, we qualified because or else I would be there alone for, for two weeks. Juan would have to help out even more. <laughs> oh, and, I, never uh, actually, I never actually thought about man, that you'd be like stuck on your own if the team had to gone home. Yeah, because I wow. it was, a, it was a, a struggle to, to fly two weeks later because as soon as I put my foot down, it got really swollen, right? And uh, we had, it's a five-hour flight from Halifax to Calgary. So after two weeks, it was hard. I, I I wouldn't be able to go after two or three days. Another so, reason to be th- another reason to be thankful that York are shit. So oh, <laughs> that's terrible. That's terrible. Sorry, Angus. Jesus. Sorry, man. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. Before I pass it back to Anthony Ali, a, a total reset. Let's go back to the start of your career, brother. I know you started back home in Brazil, but you made a really random move to PSV. So honestly, just talk about maybe your early days and how that move kind of materialized. Yeah, it was, I was playing in Brazil. There's a, a big youth tournament called Copa São Paulo here. Uh, it's a, it's a big uh, show for, for European clubs and even for the bigger Brazilian clubs. Uh, I had a good tournament and in the middle of the year, I was invited to, to go train at PSV. And so I I went and uh, I did well. They invited me to come back. So I was there for 20 days and then I came back to Brazil and they formalized the the, the invitation for me to go for their under 19 youth team. So I went back and then uh, great experience. I mean, uh, top level players, top level coaches. It really helped me to, to build as a player. I was still young. I was 17 years old. So I was able to absorb and, and learn a lot. And uh, then that kind of put me in my path. Uh, my next move was to Portugal, where I actually signed my first pro deal uh, in Nacional from Madeira Island. I was there for three years. And, and was, not to uh, cut you off, that was one of my questions. Like, was the whole Ronaldo thing, like, was that a part of it? Or, or, or was it just like they found you? Uh, it was it was through through my agent, so he knew the sport director there, and I had just left uh, PSV. It was also because of uh, some bureaucracies. I, you have to be eighteen to be able to to sign your pro deal there, and I didn't have uh, my European passport, which I do now at the time, so I couldn't really have a official contract there. So we thought it was better to to leave, 
and uh, in Portugal it was possible. So I just went there. I finished my last youth year. So in uh, the U19, my, my last year, I, I finished at Nacional. And then I, I automatically signed my first pro deal there as well and had my pro debut in uh, 2011. So almost 10 years ago now. And uh, it was nice, great experience. I got to play the, the Premier League there, first division for, for two years. We qualified for Europa League in, in the second year. As a young player, I was involved. I was playing sometimes, so, so it was good for, for my career and uh, to, to get this maturity early. Yeah, just speaking about uh, Nacional, um, you were like their youngest player, I think, to, to start a game or something like that. Like, so what was that? What was that experience like? It must be like what's going through your head. Like, it's obviously we all never experienced that. So, what was that like? Yeah, everything goes really quick. So, <laughs> I was I, I would train with them when I was uh, in I was at the U nine U nineteen, but I would always train with the first team. So in, in the start, beginning of the 2011 season, I, I had just renewed, signed my contract. I came for preseason. They were like, ah, maybe we'll loan you because I was 18, right? It was my first year. I started doing well. And uh, it was a short preseason because we qualified for the Europa League playoffs, right? So our, our, the first round was in Iceland. Uh, we, we went there. I didn't, I didn't even play. I was on the bench. Then the we we I think yeah we won one zero I believe, and then the return leg in Portugal the coach came up to me and said uh, you're starting tomorrow, and I was oh, like wow, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> didn't even have time to to get nervous. So I played, I did well, and then from there they they decided well yeah uh, I made the, the squad. They didn't loan me, and uh, it kind of went. From there, and uh, great experiences playing in against the, the the bigger clubs in Portugal, Porto, Benfica, Sporting. I think that's it's when you it, it's the real football when you play against them, right? You don't touch the ball a lot, but it's, just, <laughs> it's nice. Uh, you you feel you feel like a, a real player. That is amazing. Like I like being able to <coughs> see the um, the like the stadium of light and stuff from the. The touchline must be an incredible experience. So, so when you moved to like PSV, like obviously you're a young guy. Like, what, was there a language barrier? How did you come, overcome that? Because you're a young guy, pretty much moving to Europe on your own. What, what was that like? Was, yeah. was there, did they have think, translators or? Uh, no, no, no. You have to, <laughs> you have to find your way. I mean, I spoke English, but the trainings were all in Dutch. I, I had Dutch lessons. Like, I started picking up some stuff. It's more observe, see what people do try to do the same. And uh, it was difficult, especially because it was uh, 10 years ago. It wasn't like, like now that you have WhatsApp and all the social media. It's much easier to communicate with, with everyone. And uh, the, the time difference was, it was hard. I felt that like, I think it helped me grow, especially because I was really young and it was kind of, it showed me it's not going to be easy. Do you really want this for your life? And when I was there, I was like, I, I, I'm not giving up now. And there was a lot of adversities, uh, being far from, from everyone, like out of nowhere in a, in a completely different country, culture. And uh, yeah, it, it was good. It was a good learning experience. That's yeah, it's, um, I'd imagine it was kind of scary too, being so young in a new country. Um, my next question is kind of like a little bit off kilter. Um, obviously, when you played for Ottawa Fury, you were involved in a very strange incident on an airplane. Um, don't don't say the airline. Let's call it Eric Clanahan. Yes, yes, let's do that. <laughs> I don't want to um, what the fuck happened? <laughs> so now no one knows. <laughs> we 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 were we were going to play against Atlanta. So normal trip went from Ottawa to Toronto, Toronto to Atlanta. When we were in Toronto, there was a weird vibe. It was this guy, uh, when we were going through the x-rays, he was kind of looking weird, saying something, but I wasn't close. And uh, we, we got to the plane. Normal, the, the guys were, were playing cards and we traveled all and wearing all black. And uh, so this guy behind me, he was telling the, the other guy that we were... Uh, I, I heard this after it happened, so just to, I didn't know it at that. 
So the, this guy was saying that we were like a terrorist group and this and that. What? So the guy next to him went nuts, and man. Googled us and like, he, he told them, no, they're just a, a soccer team from, from Ottawa. They exist. So the guy got worried. He was like, why, why is this guy saying this? So the flight went on. We were like half an hour away. I, I had my, my headphones like trying to sleep a little and all of a sudden I felt something like from behind. I thought it was one of the guys messing around. Right. Then but it started getting strong and I was like, Why? and I, I was able to get off. And then I looked back and this, this guy holding his cables like all together. And I always remember they were red. So when I stood up and I looked back, I was scared that it was like a bomb or something. This guy's holding two red strings. And then uh, and everyone like kind of looked and my teammates at the time uh, started obviously uh, calling him names and he was replying back. Uh, people in the plane got scared, started screaming. And the guy next to him was a uh, former uh, U.S. Army, something oh, like that. Jesus so he, he grabbed him and he, he put him together to the, to the window and uh, mobilized him there. And in five minutes, we landed in, in Atlanta. And then it was like a movie. Uh, everyone went out. Uh, the, the FBI came in. He, he cuffed him. And then, uh, yeah. And then in the end, no one really knows exactly what happened. There were some versions of the story that he, he had a mental illness and that he didn't know what he was doing, that he was traveling around North America uh, like with nowhere to go. Then someone said that he, he, he wanted to be arrested because he was uh, running from someone in the streets in Atlanta and they were going to get uh, things that I really, I really don't know. And uh, it was just a, a, a weird experience. And I never, I never thought that it was, it was going to be, that would be so, so exposed. Right. So I arrived called like my girlfriend at the time, my family. And I was like, ah, this happened didn't give much importance to it, but there was a CNN reporter in you, the you, flight. You took the words out of my mouth. I said, you landed in Atlanta. I guarantee you it's got something to do with Ted Turner and CNN. So, so, so she filmed it and I'm like, ah, okay. And the, the, uh, I was, and we, we were, we were from Canada. So my phone wouldn't work in the U S. So I, I, I was waiting for the Wi-Fi, and it was like 40 minutes from the, airport to the hotel and when it went after we did all the fbi thing meeting blah, blah, blah. when we got to the hotel my phone was almost exploding when the <laughs> wife, because it went it, it the, the news went out and people i remember in the bus uh, reporters from like we had irish players uh, scottish players, they were calling them to ask what happened because it went worldwide and i was like wow i don't know and then they they didn't want me to say anything so the club told me, no, don't give any interest. And I had like the biggest uh, news in Brazil asking me what was going on. And I said, I have to give at least one interview just to explain what happened. Because from what's out there, it looks like I'm fighting in the plane. <laughs> and I didn't do anything. So, Brazilian so mar just, martial artist. Yeah. You know, like, <laughs> yeah. Daniel Anderson Silva or so, something uh, like that. <laughs> So I just chose the main one, the biggest one, and told them the story, explained everything, and uh, and yeah, and then the next day I played. So so it was <laughs> wow. Did the score? Because <laughs> that would have been well, like the best story ever, right? To finish it off. <laughs> I, I I I actually I I, I was in my head, I didn't sleep a minute. Oh I was like God. scared. I, it, it it was tough, but I said no, I want to play, and then. Uh, and the, the the coach was was Mark from Vancouver, and now you you guys know him from his interviews. Probably he's a funny guy, and uh, he, he he would always say, "Oh, when the FBI came, I thought it was gonna be like in the movies and this and that, and it was nothing like that." <laughs> They're gonna make a movie of what happened to you. So, <laughs> who would you like to play you in the movie, Matt Damon? Uh, yeah, I think it's gonna be Brad Pitt. When he was younger. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead, Carlos. I think you should celebrate from now on your balls like this. 
Yeah. You know? like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's score like you're twin the plane. <laughs> yeah. oh, we should we should make fun of it, man. I'm sorry, bro. Yeah, okay. sorry, man. It, it, this, no, is how, it's, this is how we roll here. We make fun. We have a lot of uh, it's okay. trouble here. I, I've t- I told this story about 2,000 times already, so it's it's all good. <laughs> <laughs> At least now I have the, the injury, so I have a new story. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> here's here's uh, but my question to you is just like coming back uh, to your origins in in Portugal I, I check a little bit of the games that you play and I'm from from Peru South America and you play against uh, Carrillo and when you when he was like starting in in sporting club and also uh, the keeper was Rui Patricio the the Portuguese goalkeeper that the, the uh, a big legend there can you tell us your experience yeah. about that like how, how was that match because Obviously, yeah, like was, there were top teams in 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 the Portuguese league. Yeah, against Sporting, we had an interesting one. We got to the semifinal of the cup, actually, mm-hmm. and uh, we were beating them two zero in Alvalade. And uh, the, the refs there are very difficult uh, against the, the the when you're playing against the the bigger clubs. Yeah. So they drew two two. Uh, they scored once in the 90th and once in the 96th. So we went to the return game. Uh, at our stadium and uh, the 0-0 qualified us. It was 0-0 around the 70th minute. They invented a red card for our team and 10 minutes later gave a PK. So they managed to, to put Sporting in the final. And uh, yeah, Rui Patricio played, uh, Carillo played. There was that uh, big American center back, uh, Onuyu. Onuyu, yeah. Remember him? Yeah. yeah. And... Uh, yeah, at, at that time, Porto, Porto's uh, strikers were Hulk, James Rodriguez, and Falcon Garcia. Yeah. Play against them. Uh, Benfica had Pablo Aymar. Pablo Aymar. That, that's what, that's what, you, you started Juan there. Cardoso. Yeah, I started yeah, the, that game at, at You started, at yeah. Yeah, yeah was... Taquara also like a World Cup legend for Paraguay in South Africa. He was playing there. He was just a number 10. No, and... He was an eight because Aymar was the number 10 in that team. And also Saviola was on the bench that he wasn't playing. Saviola, so, Ga- Gaeta, wow. Gaeta really impressed me. Uh, yeah. Rodrigo that now is at, uh, I think he's at Leeds, isn't he? Yeah. Rodrigo? Yeah. He played, uh, Garay was the center back. Garay, Garay. were the both center backs. Yeah, so it wasn't it wasn't an easy night. We lost four <laughs> one. How how was how was playing against Garay? Because that guy was like he had a nuts by a leg. Like he just loved to chop, like, chop, chop everybody. One of my, like, one of my favorites. That? One of my favorites, just because of what you said, Carlos. Like he was a fence, literally. You, yeah, you yeah. He, he, he That was that, that was the, the way he played. And also, you had um, a guy from Venezuela that that uh injured as a teammate i think that uh he was good in the international team from venezuela from mario his... mario rondon mario yes rondon not, not salomon not yeah. salomon rondon the, uh, no, there's no. another rondon we, yeah, we mario. told them we told them he was the generic, the generic. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah so how was this you know like for you like coming being the youngest and being surrounded by all these stars and you were playing they're like um i want to ask you to how this influence, because I know Anthony asked you this question before, but in the locker room and in the pitch, like taking all these legends, playing against this lane, how this helped you to develop your game for, for the future, for the Oliver uh, Manitel that we're talking right now? If you can share that with us. Yeah, I think uh, at my team that I played together, I played with some top-class players too that later played. Uh, we had Luis Neto, center back, played World Cup for Portugal. Candeias, mm-hmm. uh, who played for Rangers, you guys might know, uh, right winger. Mateus played the World Cup for Angola, I think, too. Hondon was national team from Venezuela. We had yeah. some uh, good Brazilian players. I just, I learned a lot. I would work, work hard, uh, listen. And uh, it's what I try to tell the, the younger guys now, Canadians, that they have to be willing to, to listen, to, to work hard, to see what people do to to play and the, the sacrifices because now everything seems easy and some of the the younger guys they especially with the social media and everything mm-hmm. they they sometimes forget the, the the hard part right the hard work and 
putting in more work than the, like if you're not playing you have to work even more and uh, instead of be, not being motivated and those things i just uh try to absorb absorb as much as possible and uh, obviously playing against those class the world-class stars it's just you see how good these guys are and you just see it live and and then you know they have to work even harder and yeah. uh the, the level in, in football is so similar. And I think the CPL shows that, right? When we went and we beat the Whitecaps, for example, and you have guys in the Whitecaps who are playing World Cups. And then you have guys from the CPL being called up to the national teams. Mm -hmm. uh, I heard something about, I don't know if it's true, about Bustos and the Chilean national team. So imagine oh, it's true, yeah. if, if, if that actually happens. It just shows that, and I always say that the, the difference is really small from the high level to to like the the, the lower levels, right? Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's the opportunity. So you have guys, for example, in our team, you have Jordan Brown, Nathan, they all came from Premier League academies. Mm -hmm. So maybe it's one little detail that you might be playing in the Premier League or you're playing in the CPL, right? And uh, I think that's the, the most intriguing thing and interesting thing about football and also how things can change quickly, right? You see all those crazy stories. Sometimes guys, uh, Jamie uh, Vardy, for example. Jamie Vardy. Yeah. He started, and then seven seven years later, he he was the top goal scorer in the Premier League, and he was playing I don't know fifth division. Mm -hmm. So I think it, it was it was a great experience being being in that kind of environment, and uh, it it was good. It helped me to to become the player that I that I am today. And one last one before I pass it to Chris. Um, having all this experience internationally, you went to camp in, in, in PSV to just kind of like sign a Ronaldo and then you jump in. And uh, having all these clubs that you play, what do you think the CPL um, kind of like needs in, in terms of not structure, but how they develop the players? What do you think each club needs in the CPL? I know budget speaks for everything, you know, like everything needs more budget, but the little things, those little details that you saw with your international experience, what do you think the CPL can kind of like copy and perfection that? I think the main thing is uh, the CPL has to let the clubs be their own owners and uh, do their own stuff, develop their own players start the academy system, which is, which is huge. Sometimes it, it's, it's good that they have control among everything and they control the league. They have all those rules, but they also can't forget that football is competitive, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, if you, you can't take that out and only think in the development because that won't help. If, if, if it's more competitive and uh, that, that, that will make the players better, right? So I think that the, the, the main thing is giving the, the Canadians the opportunity to play in a more competitive environment. And to have that today, you still need uh, older players. You still need foreigners like every other league in the world. Well, it's kind of a two-part question. and It relates to what Carlos is kind of saying. You know, soccer in Canada has come a long way in the last five to ten years alone. Um, and what's going to happen in the next five to ten years, we have no idea. But with the World Cup coming, the investments here – you're now a part of the rebirth of this league, but you were also a part of the NASL with Ottawa. Um, talk about that 2015 season because you guys made it to the finals, and it was uh, it was it was it was something we were watching from this side because there were a few guys from Halifax that had tried out for the Fury that year but didn't make it, so we were still kind of tuned in. So just kind of talk about that. And the second part of the question is, what brought you back to Canada when it was all said and done? Mm -hmm. So that year, 2015, with, with Ottawa, I think the main difference from now, from the CPL to, to that team, for example, is that we didn't even have so many Canadians because Americans also didn't uh, occupy a foreign spot. So you had the seven foreigners, and then I think we still had like eight Americans, and then maybe only 20, 25% of the team were, were the Canadians. And that year, there was a big, big thing that happened. It was that Julian de Guzman came. And he's the Canadian legend, right? And what a guy, a great guy. And I think he was very important as a player and just as his presence in the, in the locker room as well to bring this Canadian uh, side to the club, right? Because I think it's 
the fans, they love the fact to see Canadian players play and develop and succeed. So that season, it was, it was like uh, we, we were the underdogs. Uh, we just found a way to, to win games and we went like 13 games unbeaten, lost one and then went 12 unbeaten again and then lost the final an extra time, 3-2 against the New York Cosmos that had uh, Raul that was actually his last career game. So also amazing. Marco Senna, uh, Ayosi, uh, uh, I think the, the Brazilian said, they had really good players and uh, was just a, a detail, 3-2 in the final. And then uh, the question, what brought me back was, sit, even in 2015, I already, we heard that there was this idea of the CPL and I always thought it was great because the, the fans really never felt so much enthusiasm when well, it's Ottawa against Indy 11, like whatever. Now, if it's Ottawa against Halifax, it creates the, uh, the rivalry and you always, it's, it's more exciting for them. And even the media, the press, I feel like the coverage now is much bigger and people are engaged with it and they see a, a plan, the, the future, the growth, and I think that's the most important leading to, to 2026 with the World Cup. And uh, well, you see all those uh, franchises interested in, in joining the CPL. Uh, that's huge, obviously, with the COVID thing and everything. It's maybe, maybe it's going to delay some clubs of, of entering, but I'm sure that long-term, uh, the, the projects are, are really, really good and more teams will, will join. And that was one of the things that made me come back just the, the, the fact that I see the future uh, in a really bright manner in, in, in Canadian football. Awesome, man. Awesome. I have to ask you about your first goal because it was kind of in this town called Halifax and, and it was kind of late in the game and you kind of shut us up because I think that was the loudest the crowd was the entire season. So uh, just take <laughs> us back to that first goal and, and, and shutting us up. And, and I guess a follow-up before passing it back to Anthony, we've asked a, a bunch of guys this question. Talk about just playing at the Wanderers grounds and how it compared to your guys' home stadium and, and the rest of the stadiums in the league. So oh, that, that goal was actually really important for me personally because I had an injury last year in preseason. And uh, so it was, it was difficult because I, I was out for five or six weeks in preseason and then I, it was hard to get into the team because we, we were winning every game. So that game, I had my chance. It was maybe the first game that I, uh, league game that I came in uh, early. I came in, I think, in the 60th minute. It was 0-0. Zero, zero. It was a tough game. And uh, Halifax is maybe one of the, the nicest places to play because of that environment. It really makes you, you, you feel like you're, you're playing an important match and everything. And uh, it was a, a surge, had a great run, played it back. And, I feel, and there, you know, I, like it's a game winner. So it kind of got me going too. And uh, another three points for the team. So it was amazing, a great, great feeling, great experience. And uh, not, not trying to, to be nice, but I think that the two best stadiums environments to play are, are uh, Spruce and uh, Halifax Grounds because it's where the, the fans are the loudest and uh, they're both natural grass for me. That makes a, a huge difference. I grew up and in Europe and Brazil, it's always, not, I think the game, the tempo of the game is much better when it's natural grass and uh, the, the fans are close to, to the field. So most of the time, the good crowds in, in both of the stadiums. So hopefully next year, uh, everything comes back to normal and uh, we're, we're able to, to play again in, uh, in packed stadiums. I think you should play for Halifax. You know why? Because we have beaches. You love the Wonders Grounds, and also if you if you miss Calgary, besides or behind, it's behind or beside. Anyways, there's a a, a horse race, like close to the, to oh, the really? ground. If you miss Calgary, you know yeah. it's just a perfect package. I'm just saying that. Yeah. Like, think about it. Yeah. You know. <laughs> so when we when we wrap up the show, we just kind of ask some. Quick fiery kind of questions. Um, if you're going to play in a five-a-side tournament with the players that you've played with, who would be in your team? 
five aside turn of the oh man difficult, difficult questions huh oh, this is the easy <laughs> one so <laughs> this is the easy one oh, <laughs> uh, yeah well let's see it's it, it's always a tough one because if you do usually when you play five aside in the team if it's the team with most of your friends you always lose right yeah it's so, true yeah. <laughs> so all all of these people you're saying are not your friends are right, awesome <laughs> <laughs> so with the, with the guys i played uh, let's see i played with this crazy keeper in in ottawa funny guy too and he wouldn't stop screaming for one minute so i'll put him in goal pizer <laughs> because uh, nice. he'll get the guy he'll get guys going <laughs> Uh, center, well, five aside. So center backs. I'll put two. Uh, I'll put Neto has to be there. The, the guy that I said that, that I mentioned that played uh, the World Cups. He'll be alone there. I'll put uh, De Guzman, Richie Ryan. You guys, Richie Ryan Richie as well. Yeah, great guy. And. Well, I think I have to play, right? Yeah. So yeah. we only have one more spot left. Who's going to play with me up front? Mm. Come on, give me three options. No, man, it's just all you. <laughs> <laughs> I played with so many good yeah. players. I'm fortunate. Uh, I'm trying to say someone that you guys will, will, will know. That's, to be completely fair, we like guys we don't know because we can do a little bit of research. We're we're nerds, man. Like like name yeah, somebody yeah. you wouldn't know, but we might be able to find something on even if if that helps you. Will Nico, will Nico be your your backup keeper? Nico, yeah, he, he's good for the banter. He can come. Yeah, put Nico up at uh, center forward. I was gonna say I'll, I'll put Nico up front. That's okay. <laughs> Imagine Nico's a striker, man. That would oh, be like man. talking. <laughs> Roll Nico, right? Yeah. Oh, could you absolutely imagine? But he's going to York now, so I don't know if you guys like him anymore. No, no, no. we do. No, we no. do. We do. We do. We do. Yeah. I think okay. uh, he's a friend of the house. <laughs> Man, I thought he was going to come to Halifax. So yeah, I don't, he's not. We're not fans anymore. So yeah, um, let, let's be nice, and we'll put Jordan Brown in there. Keep, Sounds good. Yeah. Great option. Uh, I try to keep the the guys from the team out because if I put one, it, I want to put all of them. So. <laughs> that's the reason that I didn't put anyone from well, from, from, from my from my uh, current latest teams. <laughs> but Jordan's in Germany now, so you're good. Um, so yeah. uh, Ottawa or Calgary, which is a better city? Ottawa or Calgary? That's the best city. <laughs> He told you that the first question was an easy question. To be honest, man, he did give you the heads up. Uh, I have to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> There's no uh, beaches in Boro. Ottawa is the capital, so <laughs> nice. I mean, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right, <laughs> you heard it here first. He actually hates Calgary, and I'm joking. Um, and my last, my last question is: uh, What's the what's your favorite pair of football boots you've ever owned? Favorite pair? Mm. I usually wear the the, the vapors. Uh, I uh, let's say. I'll, I'll choose that one from the World Cup that was white with uh, a kind of red, pink in front. You know, sweet. Um, that, that was that was my first one I wore when I when I was a uh, pro. So that's amazing, a historic one. Love it, love it, uh, Carlos. Far away. Uh, top three strikers for you. And now in the world, or in the world, like could be in the history, just like now or in the past. Number one, Ronaldo, phenomenal. There you go. Has to be him. Best night uh, ever. Uh, he's number one for me. He's my my idol. I grew up Oof. watching him. I'll put him, Romario. Oof. And, uh, <laughs> and then I'll put the one now that I think is the, the best, uh, Benzema. Benzema. Did you notice that he's top three striker at party, guys? <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, they score goals. <laughs> oh, 
Oh God! <laughs> if they party and they score goals, you can't say anything. It's a perfect combo, you know. <laughs> go, go for it's, it, Chris. It's, it's it's the theme with how we started the show. Rest in peace, Maradona. He yeah. partied and he yeah. scored goals. And I mean, I'm a Manchester United guy, so like George Best was life, and he definitely treated himself poorly, but he did his thing on the yeah. field. Uh, I got three quick ones for you, brother. Uh, pre-game meal. Is there something that you get in your stomach before you get on the field or, or like maybe a drink? Uh, specifics? A caffeine pill. <laughs> I think that's a first on down the pub. Shit. <laughs> My guy pops a caffeine pill. Okay. Okay, that's shit. That, that, that was unexpected, but I love it. Damn. That's great. Uh, like uh, musically, like is there an artist or is there like a style of music that kind of gets you into the zone? Yeah, I usually put, when they let me, I put my music, uh, sometimes a reggaeton gets the guys going, some Latin stuff, but oh, I, I, they, they don't let me put uh, too many times, so <laughs> I have to listen to it, to it myself. <laughs> we need more, we, we need more uh, South Americans. <laughs> Why do they listen in the Calvary? They always room? say, oh, come on, Oli, this music. Country? <laughs> I, oh, I probably know, listen to a ton of country in Calgary, but I don't think there's any Albertans on the team. No, there are many. Oh, is there really? Oh, I'm terrible now. Oh, yeah. There's a few Albertans. Oh, there, are a lot, there are a lot of them, yeah. My bad. My uh, bad. I should well, have done look my at research. that. Just, just from, from my mind here, short. Marco, Zatz, oh, Dean, wow. what? Uh, Elijah, uh, Pasquati, Ledge. Oh, wow, I'm bad. Six enough, huh? Six, yeah. and I forgot a bunch of them, probably. <laughs> wow, <Jesus>. Sergio. <laughs> I, I should, like I said, I should have did it. No, Sergio, no, Sergio is 100% Colombian. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know, man. I don't know. That man, that man is definitely y'all neighbors. He ain't no Albert. I love him. We I need to him. have him on the show, man. Oh, like, so I want to have Sergio. Yeah, invite him. He's fun. That'll happen. If, if Nico didn't leave, I think it would have happened, but I mean, yeah. Uh, my last one is like a superstition, like whether it was growing up or even to this day, like, is there like a mode, even if it's musically, like, is, is it just like, uh, is there something that gets you, uh, I guess, focus, like one sock on the other, just a superstition? Mm, no, not, not really. Uh, superstition, or maybe just I go into the field with, with my right foot. It tended to work until the last time I did it. <laughs> uh. <laughs> oh my God. I like that. I like It's going to be left foot now. Left foot now. <laughs> like or do the, do, do the bunny hop. Yeah. Do the bunny hop. Both, both over the line. Just just jump oh, over yeah. it. Oh, that's amazing. Oh, that's great. Only no, one quick one for you. Are you a Corinthian or Sao Paulo? Palmeiras. Palmeiras, nice. Yeah. They're 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 about to win the Libertadores this year, though. Like they're strong. Wow, let's hope. Yeah. Let's hope. Nice. Felipe Melo, Felipe Melo, I love yeah. him as a Felipe player. Melo is good. And yeah. He had a he had a similar injury to mine like a month ago. Yeah. Already. Yeah, yeah, he, he broke his ankle. Thank you so much for giving us so much time, man. It's been a blast. It's been great. Um, where can if people want to follow your journey, uh, where can they find you on social media? It's Oliver Minitel on, on Instagram, and uh, I try to keep keep it interesting there, putting some stuff uh, of the rehab. I'm, I'm not a big social media guy, but I'm trying to improve. So uh, are you taking I'm lessons? more old school. <laughs> are, you are you taking lessons from Joe Morelli on how to be an Instagram star? An influencer. Yeah, yeah. He <laughs> He, he he works hard on it. I Thursday, <laughs> but I think it works, especially in Halifax. From what I can yeah, tell, yeah, he, he came to the right city. He yeah, definitely yeah. came yeah. to the right city. He's uh, he's also younger, so so he knows how to manage those things, those things better. He's he's a legend in the uh, in the city here. Um, so yeah, uh, Carlos, where can people find you on DS Football? I can find DS Football in any other platforms: Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Just the same DS Football. Uh, and Chris, uh, your new show? Yeah, it kind of came out of nowhere, I think, didn't it? All these delays. Uh, my name is Searle, available on Spotify, Anchor, Deezer, and three others. I can't think of them off the top of my head. Um, there's no, like, profile for the show. Just find me at Christofsky, C-H-R-I-S-T-O-F-S-K-I. 
And you can follow the show on at Down the Pub Pod on Instagram, at Down the Pub Pod C1 on Twitter. Uh, I just want to say congratulations to Stephen Hart on winning Coach of the Year. Uh, it seems to have pissed off an awful lot of people in Hamilton, so that's only a good thing. Uh, <laughs> it's the best thing ever. <laughs> and before I let this go, Tottenham are top of the league. Woo! Come on, you Spurs. Did, did, did they win? They no, they they drew zero zero. But you know, Anthony yeah. takes a zero like a win. You know, oh, that's the typical you're, you're, Mourinho. That's a typical Mourinho. He woke up this morning and said, "Ah, oh, we just need a nil nil draw. Let's get a nil nil draw." He got the job done. When, yeah. you, when you're a sports fan, you'll take whatever the fuck you can get, man. To be honest. All <laughs> right. Uh, <laughs> thanks so much, Oliver. Best of luck with the recovery. <laughs> been listening to the Down the Pub podcast, recorded in Halifax, Nova Scotia. Head to downthepub.ca to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Until next time, cheers. Cheers.